Welcome to the Addiction Connection. We like to believe the opposite of addiction is actually connection, and we are going to attempt to educate you and possibly even entertain you while we navigate all topics addiction. Hi, I'm Dr. Kirk Devine. And I'm Dr. Heather Bell, and we both provide primary care and addiction services. It's our goal to help you learn more about the disease of addiction and its treatments. Welcome back. This is number 16. Yeah, we're going, no, <laughs> it's 18. That's we're what going I meant. from nicotine to marijuana. Nicotine last week, marijuana this week. Mm. Kratom next week. I want to complain right away because it doesn't look, it should be marijuana. Marijuana. But anyway, I, I digress. Wow. So let's talk a little bit about uh, marijuana. And, and NIDA, of course, the National Institute of Drug and Alcohol. Okay, but before we just say NIDA, you have to say who said these quotes. Well, the, it'd be the Dr. Nora Volkow. Yeah, I ran on a treadmill next to her once. Me too. I was on the other side. We were kind of stalking her. I think that was in Miami. No? No, it was in Atlanta. Oh, it was in Atlanta, yes. So, anyway. yeah, she was speaking there. It was pretty cool. And so basically what she said is there's evidence that cannabis or cannabinoids can treat certain medical conditions, which include, well, nausea and vomiting from chemotherapy, spasticity from multiple sclerosis, and pain. But... She says, go on to say, she goes on to say, I have concerns that the report summary and press coverage may give the impression that the findings apply equally to the cannabis plant, medical marijuana, medical marijuana, and to the cannabinoid formulations that have undergone rigorous clinical trials. I mean, that's important to point out because unfortunately, marijuana being a schedule schedule one substance on the whole, what are these medications all? It's really, really hard for the United States to study this. Mm -hmm. So that's like a huge federal thing. And I guess I'm personally, not that I'm going to get political here, I'm personally under the belief that it should be able to be at least studied. So they might need to change it to a schedule too. But anyway, if you're looking at, is it a medicine? If the botanical is this plant, if you look at just the impure plant, you know, what people grow in their backyard, has 750 plus known chemicals 100-plus known cannabinoids. And really, of all these chemicals and cannabinoids, most of them, the interactions and the actions are not really known. So it's kind of that whole thing like T and Neptune we talked about a couple weeks ago is you don't really know what it is should you really put it in your body. Yeah. So, you know, and of course, you know, what are the doses from these things, the CBD and the THC and all these things? They're inconsistent. uh, They're unregulated. Um, and of course, most people assume that, you know, if they're going to get some kind of medical marijuana, well, they, they assume you're going to smoke it, but in a lot of cases, that's not the case. That's also a hazard to the lungs. So this is all pretty confusing. And, you know, what about the evidence for safety? Well, there aren't any long-term studies, um, on this or, or on the adverse events, right? So there's, there's just not that information. Right. And the, the evidence for effectiveness, well, I think most would agree uh, who are in the middle that there's really poor quality um, evidence and it's not or it's non-existent in many cases. Well, especially when you move on to things like the edibles, the vapors, the residents, the resins, residents. The residents. It, it was just July one, so that we're taping this, so new residents started. But anyway, the resins, all the different dabs and all those things we'll get to, there's really no evidence on those. But the one thing that we do know is that the short and long-term adverse effects, there are cognitive and motor impairments, a motivational thing, psychosis, and we will get to some of that. Yeah. And actually, you know, one of the things to always keep in mind is that 
the marijuana from the 60s and the marijuana today is way different than it was. Uh, you know, the, the THC has gone up substantially, and I have this conversation with patients all the time uh, on, on that difference. Um, so, you know, I think that's always something to remember. When you look at the different reasons people do use marijuana, I think the number one thing I hear, no matter across the board, the person's history is for anxiety. And that is a common reason people use marijuana is that relaxation. However, the most common side effect is actually anxiety and panic. And so, you know, it's fun to, to, you know, talk about this with patients. Like, okay, give it a month. Don't use it. I bet your anxiety actually gets better. I mean, initially it's going to get worse, but let's see what happens. Yeah. I actually, I've had two patients just recently with this whole issue, uh, using marijuana and getting anxiety and panic attacks following it. Uh, and I think sometimes they, they don't make the connection right away. And so they smoke more, more marijuana and only get worse. And so, uh, it is relatively common. It's something that I see in my clinic frequently. So if you look at, uh, you know, marijuana with anxiety. Well, let's talk about THC and, and what its general effect is. Well, when you, can you decrease anxiety? Well, some people would say at lower doses. And every time I read this, I think, well, what's a low dose, especially when we look at THC levels in marijuana now? Well, right. I mean, you get it from a dealer, you get it from a plant. You Like we just said, you don't know the composition of each plant. So, yeah. How do you dose it? Yeah, and so and it, and at higher doses, it's very obvious that there's more anxiety. Now, CBD, on the other hand, so marijuana is a combination of the THC and the CBD. So CBD itself is an anxiolytic, so it's going to decrease the anxiety. It does reduce anxiety in patients with social anxiety disorder, but that's all just in the short term. It does not do much for long term, um, as far as the studies go. Again, but. Ultimately, even if you go to the, the drugstore and you buy the CBD oil that's sitting there or the gas station, they're never pure. I don't care what they say. They actually are not completely pure. Um, so, But the regular marijuana use is actually going to cause tolerance. So the first time, it might actually decrease your anxiety, which is the, you know, the goal here. But over time, you're no longer going to get that anxiolytic effect, and your tolerance is actually um, going to be there. So the anxiety, you're going to need more and more and more. And then when you don't you know, smoke, you're going to have that rebound anxiety, at least initially. When you look at the NISARC trial or the NISARC um, comments from 2016, you actually get, uh, this is data. I mean, this is a huge trial they do every year annually. And basically one of the statements they came out with in 2016 is that cannabis is actually associated with increased prevalence and incidence of anxiety and mood disorders across the board. Yeah. Now, did you even say what NISARC stood for? No, I didn't. Well, it's the National Epidemiologic Survey on Alcohol and Related Conditions. Just want to make sure everybody knew. Okay, fancy. So, yeah, and, and actually, even after you adjust for family history uh, and substance use disorders and environment and parental loss, low self-esteem, all of those things, anxiety, so, social deviance, a million different things, uh, only increased prevalence of alcohol and drug use disorders, um, uh, they're not really specific to anxiety disorders. So... You know, it's really a kind of an interesting thing. A history, all of those things don't really play into it. So there was a paper written in 2017 on the effects of marijuana, mental health, anxiety disorders, alcohol and drug abuse from the in Alcohol and Drug Abuse Institute from, a, I think she was a nurse practitioner or an epidemiologist or something um, whose last name was Stoner. So everybody thought this was funny. But basically, 
they did state that social anxiety disorder itself is a risk factor for subsequent anxiety dependence and, you know, kind of figuring out the why. And, you know, is it because patients are self-medicating or is it that it's kind of creating this tolerance? Is it that the cannabis, you know, precipitates panic or what is it? Yeah, so so interesting. And I've kind of lost you. I think yes. you uh, you kind of moved on. Um, Why don't you talk about the major psychoactive Yeah, I'm going to move on to the other thing. You know, what are the, so really THC, let's look at it. You know, there's two cannabinoid receptors. There's CB1 and CB2. Now, CB1 primarily is in the CNS, okay? So it's in the CNS sites, where when you look at CB2, CB2 is really peripheral and central, so it can go both uh, places. Um, and again, so when you activate these receptors, it decreases neurotransmitter release, and, and I think that's really what, what's going on at these different sites. And so how, you know, what happens when, when you hit these receptors and, and what does intoxication look like, Dr. Bell? Any well, idea at all? <laughs> um, from the research, nice try. You tried to set me up there. Intoxication marijuana is going to look like euphoria, hunger. I mean, you hear the, you know, the stuff on the movies about the mungies. So people tend to get hungry. Um, they're more relaxed. So you get that euphoria and that relax relaxation similar to nicotine, but it's more of this relaxation, occasional panic and anxiety. Very rarely are you going to have paranoia and panic. Now, I think with the increased levels of the THC in the marijuana of our time versus, you know, Kurt's childhood time, you've seen this especially in clinic a few times that there's been a lot more of that paranoia yeah. coming out, almost schizophrenia looking. Um, I've had two in the last year. Mm -hmm. uh, very interesting. But when you go to the toxicity or the adverse effects of marijuana, decreased cognition, decreased concentration, decreased reaction time, decreased motor performance, and we'll get to why we're you know emphasizing this, um, they do have an increased risk of schizophrenia as well, especially people who initiate marijuana use earlier, um, especially in their adolescence. And then there is this, although controversial, this thing called amotivational syndrome where people just kind of don't care sit around don't do much and yeah that is very controversial you know was that was that predating using yeah, was that no just marijuana? them or was it the marijuana it's it's interesting even yesterday i had a question about uh schizophrenia and marijuana i had a guy young man who'd been smoking for uh six months and he stopped smoking and his first question was you know i have people in my family who have schizophrenia do i have increased risk after i stop and uh, well, familially, yes. Yeah, he does familially. It's got he's got two or three people in the family, and I explained to him that having stopped, it should decrease that. And in fact, I have a guy who who got um, psychotic on it, and as soon as he stopped, it went away. But he still has increased risk from his family. So yeah, very interesting stuff. Well, and similarly to the nicotine, obviously most people are smoking this. You do have the increased risk of COPD. Uh, cardiovascularly, you have the increased heart rate, decreased blood pressure, linked to numerous issues with the liver, and we're not going to get into all that. Reproductive systems, it can actually impact both men and women, um, can cause this thing called galactorrhea, which is, you know, men dripping milk from... Ouch. Yeah. And it, it does sit in fat in breast milk, and this is important because obviously if you're breastfeeding, the baby is going to be impacted. But the cool thing about marijuana, if you will, is... If you're an obese or a more obese person, uh, the marijuana does get kind of stored in the fat. So as people lose weight, they'll sometimes have this burst of release of the 
THC, if you will. I think what you were trying to say is it's lipophilic. Well, yeah, but I'm just trying to be more okay open just, to the public here. Okay. So, I think everybody wants to know. I, I can just hear them asking, is there FDA approval for cannabinoids in any way, shape, or form, Dr. Bell? There are. There are technically three, four, excuse me, four different FDA-approved. Marinol capsules was approved when I was, you know, two and a half in 1985. Um, it, it was approved as the THC to treat the nausea and vomiting, even as Dr. Volkal had stated, related to cancer chemotherapy only if the other conventional antiemetics were ineffective. And then the Marinol came, you know, the Marinol thing again got re-kind of approved in 1992 um, for another indication to treat anorexia associated with weight loss in patients with AIDS um, if other, uh, you know, treatments were also ineffective. Yeah. And then a couple other ones, Dronabinol, uh, the oral solution, same indications really as uh, Marinol and uh, these CSAMET uh, capsules. And uh, those are, again, for nausea and vomiting. And chemotherapy. So if we're looking back to, again, what is the risk, and kind of alluded to this a bit ago about adolescence and when you start, if you start using by age 15, you are 3.6 times less likely to graduate from high school, 2.3 times less likely to enroll in college, and 3.7 times less likely to actually graduate from college. So, I mean, these are obviously big numbers, especially uh, in society these days. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, again, and I, I do use these. I used these yesterday uh, about uh, decreasing your chance of getting out of college if you continue to smoke marijuana for obvious reasons. So I think that's important. I also used the next point uh, when I was discussing this with this young man about dropping your IQ. And he had read this, and he said, have I affected my IQ? Yes. And I said, well, six months is probably you know, not enough to really affect your IQ at this point. But, you know, there has been studies that showed that patients who use marijuana heavily in their teens, and he was out of his teens, and continued through adulthood, had a permanent loss of IQ, about eight points. So, uh, you know, that, that does happen. And, and like you, Dr. Bell, uh, some people can't spare any points. <laughs> You're just jealous. So, and again, a, a lot a loss of eight IQ points really that can drop an average person. It would drop really. me to like you. <laughs> That'd be so it can sad. drop a person of average intelligence into that lowest third of intelligent range. So, who wants that? I don't. Um, and so, what you would tell parents? This would be kind of that whole thing to parents. You just tell them this can definitely impact your child's ability to graduate and intelligence. Blah 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 blah. Same thing for teachers in schools. Um, College students with high levels, so 17 days per month of marijuana use, are twice as likely as those with minimal use to have an, an enroll gap, meaning they take time off during college and then go back. Um, in tw- 2015, 38% of college students indicated that they had used marijuana in the last year, up from 30% in 2006. So it seems to be on the rise in college. Oh, yeah. um, in 2015, don't worry, you were about to bash my age. I was already practicing as a physician, not in Well, college. no, I was going to say that, that you know, there's a lot of thoughts as to why that number has gone up, and it's this whole normalization of marijuana use. Uh, mm, fancy. Yeah, and some legalization of it in different areas. And, and so everybody looks at it as safe, right? And exactly. I think clearly not safe. The I mean, whole thing is if you think about it as being low risk and more safe, you're more likely to... Yeah. Use it. I, and I think there's lots of different ways to look at the data. I, I, clearly, that's happening in Colorado, uh, where we've heard people talk about the disaster that's going on there. And then often we hear people talk about how what a great thing it is. So, so, when um, we, yeah. so when we jump back to the whole mental health thing, 
Here's where the whole schizophrenia thing comes from. So regular use in adolescents and young adults strongly associated with developing psychotic symptoms and disorders like schizophrenia, um, especially for those with an underlying genetic vulnerability. So like your patient you were just mentioning. Um, or, and, the, or the younger they start. Right, exactly. And so younger you start, as well as obviously how frequent you are using marijuana. I don't know. Are you thinking of lung cancer from this stuff, Dr. Bell? I, I don't know. I, and in fact, yeah, you can. And there's one study that showed that 16% of those who smoked 50 or more times, uh, they basically doubled their risk of lung cancer. So 50 uh, times of marijuana smoking, double your risk of lung cancer. Well, and I think a lot of people don't think about that. They don't think about marijuana with like they do cigarettes for smoking. When you're looking at work and employability, uh, people who smoke marijuana are much more likely to have accidents, injuries, absenteeism, disciplinary problems. Um, and then when you go back to the employability, one in 17 to 12th graders smoke marijuana daily, and they are virtually unemployable, especially in our country or our state, excuse me, where a lot of employers will actually get a urine drug screen and will do drug testing and won't hire you. Yeah. Some common huge. Uh, companies, uh, Target, Walmart, McDonald's, police and fire departments, military transportation type environments, they're not going to employ you if uh, you have a positive urine drug screen for marijuana. Yeah, and some of these, uh, some of this data coming from, you know, 12th graders and smoking uh, statistics, it's that monitor the future. I don't think you said that. You were looking at me like I was going off the reservation, but no, I was not. The they actually do this study very frequently the, every year or two, and uh, that's one that will be on your boards if you ever take them again, Dr. Bell. I'll probably boards. have to because I'm much younger than you. Why don't you talk about driving? Oh, driving. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to find what you're talking about. because Marijuana I, and driving. It's right there in front of you. Yeah. Well, there was a new NIDA study, and uh, they talked a little bit about uh, the active chemical THC and how it affects weaving. And I don't mean weaving a rug. I knew you were thinking that. Weaving on the road in a in a lane, uh, in and really in a similar way to, you know, blood alcohol levels of 0.08, um, which is of course the legal limit in most states. And you know, interestingly, it has that same effect with the driving. And so we do see that. And actually, if you look at uh, accidents in Colorado, uh, they've actually gone up since marijuana has been legalized. Uh, they thought it would go down because people would drink less, but it does have the same effect. Correct. And one of the reasons is that they, and this is from NIDA as well, that uh, cannabinoids and cannabis can reduce your field of vision, get more tunnel vision, and therefore it lowers your reactability. And it's that whole thing when you're drinking, um, you can still have, and we'll talk about this in a podcast in a couple of weeks, the whole drinking, you can still, if you're, if you're driving the same course all the time, you have kind of that learned behavior. Marijuana takes away all of the adaptability, adaptability. Excuse yeah. Me. It's basically, uh, you learn your, if you drive the same way home every time from the bar, you actually do equally well each time, just like you weren't drinking. So, uh, pretty interesting thing. So, uh, marijuana and driving. Yeah. And marijuana is of course the most prevalent illegal drug uh, detected in impaired drivers uh, when a fatally injured, in a fatally injured driver. So, um, and in really in any motor vehicle crash victim. So marijuana is making its mark in a bad way. Well, and data wise, ninety percent, ninety two percent increased chance of vehicular crashes under the influence of marijuana, and that if you have marijuana on board, one hundred and ten percent increase in fatal crashes. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, there was kind of an interesting study that was done in uh, in Amherst, and they they actually did this study at the University of Mass, of Mass and they said that forty four percent of college men said they had driven after smoking marijuana, um, and really in the previous month, and and that's really interesting when you look at only twelve percent of men said they had drank and driven in that same time period. So um, people seem to think that it's okay, um, you know, to smoke marijuana and drive when when the reality is you're you're just not a great driver when you do that. So we're going to cover some of the Denver data just really quickly before we end. Um, one thing that's interesting is they actually have more licensed medical marijuana centers than they do pharmacies. As Kurt mentioned before, the, the traffic fatalities have gone up since a marijuana was legalized. And like he had also mentioned the whole fact that they had people had thought that traffic fatalities or alcohol would go down um, with legalization. And actually what they're finding is that the combinations are actually going up. So people, very few people are doing only marijuana. A lot of them are doing marijuana with alcohol or other drugs. Yeah. So the reality was, was that people don't just stop everything else and use a little marijuana. Right. They use marijuana with everything else. And mostly alcohol because they're both legal there. Yeah. And interestingly, one of the other big things, selling points on you know legalizing marijuana is like, well, we're going to have less crime. And in fact, if you look at the numbers really from two thir- 2013 to 2016, uh, it's basically gone up about from 50, 55,000 to 64,000. So crime continues to go up. I know we've mentioned alcohol a few times, but the actual amount of gallons of alcohol consumed um, with the legalization, if you're going to look at Colorado, so prior to legalization to after, 5% increase in alcohol being sold and yeah. consumed in Colorado. And I think they assumed it was going to go way down. Uh, did not. How about the budget That's in Colorado? That's the big thing everybody says. Oh, we can legalize it. We can tax it. We'll make money as a state. Yeah. You know, this isn't uh, anytime the, the state or the government gets involved in something, gosh, you know, there's just a lot of cost. And so in the end... Uh, the marijuana tax revenue is just 0.8% of the budget of the of Colorado. Uh, and so the question I think everybody's asking is, is that worth it? Is it worth it? Um, state of Minnesota data, there's a bunch of, you know, indications now to, to qualifying conditions, if you will, for the medicinal marijuana as we have that legalized in our state. Not going to go through all of those. Um, I guess focusing on the main ones, intractable pain is the majority of patients in our state um, cancer pain is up there, but intractable pain is where a majority of the patients are getting their marijuana yeah. for in our state. Yeah, and I think from an addiction standpoint, um, you know, often we have patients who want to use medical marijuana, which I do not, um, I do not certify for. But uh, you know, I think that one of the things you have to think about is if a person is going to be using or adding medical marijuana uh, because they feel it work better than opioids then should you be tapering them off the opioids if they mm-hmm. think that's the key? And I that's kind of what the direction I go because I I personally uh, don't think that the medical marijuana is, in most cases, I think there's some very ironclad reasons to use it, but I think there's a lot of them that have very little study. So I think to end this marijuana talk is really kind of going to the whole point again is where we started is that there's not a ton known, it's not really researched, there probably are some good uses and just needs to be more studied. Yep, there needs to be more info. And I think that's all we have, Dr. Bell. That's it for today. All right, well, thank you everyone for listening and uh, we'll talk with you again next week. Why can't I just breathe when I feel it? When I'm-
Why?